Father, again, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave himself for us, who offered himself uh, as a sacrifice according to your will, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And Father, I thank you that you revealed him uh, in your word and you uh, brought forth the gospel through your word by which we were born again through the, through the truth and uh, saving power of your son, Jesus Christ, who saved us from our sins. And Father, I thank you that you also use your word to uh, build us up and to equip us and also to grow us in respect to salvation. And I pray as we look at your word today, you would do just that, that our hearts would be moldable, that we would uh, receive your word in, in a, such a manner that you would use it for your glory in our lives. And so we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're a true believer, at some time or another, you're going to experience some type of persecution or suffering. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus made it clear that the blessed uh, are those uh, who, who in this case, in Matthew 5.11, have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. In a sense, it's an, it's an evidence that uh, his righteousness is in you and thus being persecuted, that you're in the family of God. You're the blessed, as we see, as in all those statements. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The reality is we're going to enter into persecution, not all the time, but sometimes. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, Indeed, those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Now, we see persecution in Scripture uh, as that which is uh, pursuing someone unto even uh, physical harm or death. But we also see it, as we just saw with, uh, with Jesus in Matthew, that it is people can persecute with their words. They can slander. They can, uh, they can cast all kinds of insults, say things falsely on account of Jesus. You see, when you're walking in righteousness, you're allowing his righteousness to flow through you, those who don't know him or those who are in Satan those who are in Satan's domain or those who are being used by Satan will be used by Satan. The, the, the Jesus also makes it clear about the division between the world and, and those who know the Lord, that those in the world are going to hate you. He said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Well, the reality is if you read through the Psalms, you see many times David speaks about the persecution that he went through. And often what we see in the Psalms are those that he knew or he thought were his friends, whatever it might be. Persecution can come from different uh, angles and, and ways that we may not expect. And so what are we to do as believers when that comes? You may be going through it or maybe not, but we need to prepare and understand what we should do. And I believe today we're going to see what we are to do when we are threatened or, or attacked. And we're going to see that we need to trust in God alone. And now the solution to being uh, what we're to do when we're threatened or attacked is the same solution we should have for every area of our lives, which is to trust in God alone. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 62? 
Psalm 62. Now, I'm going to share just a brief context to this psalm, but uh, the psalms in general uh, were uh, Israel's inspired hymns set to music. Uh, It was God's word brought forth to music. The term psalms comes from the Greek word psalmoi, which originally meant to pluck a string or to twitch a string, such as in music. And so we have the, uh, these words in, he, in, in Greek and in Hebrew, both are meaning, meaning music. Now the Psalms, again, are music. They are Israel's inspired hymns. They are a book of praises in poetic form set to music, set to music. And the Psalms are broken up into five books, and we have those five books within that 150 Psalms. Now to interpret the Psalms, it's helpful to understand a kind of a principle about uh, God's revelation. We have the Law and the Prophets in which God gave revelation directly to Israel. We have that. And then we have uh, the uh, writings and wisdom writings, which generally have one inspired by the Spirit reflecting on God's Word to another. And then we have the Psalms, which generally are one applying the Word of God that's revealed, inspired by the Spirit, back uh, pointed towards the Lord in a sense. And so in the Psalms here, uh, we have today, uh, we come to Psalm 62, and this is a Psalm in book two of the five books that encompass the Psalms, and this one is written by David. And we see that. Notice the superscription. Psalm 62, for the choir director, according to Jedithun, a Psalm of David. Now it's thought that Jedithun was the choir director. We certainly see he's involved in the music and the singers. And so we have this again as Israel's inspired lyrics set to music, set to music. And it is a psalm of David, a psalm of David. And we know a lot about David. We know that he was the second king of Israel after Saul, that he was a believer. But yet, as we will see, like you and I, he was a sinner, yet he's saved by by grace, the grace to come for him in the Messiah who would come in his line and die for his sins also. The Apostle Paul, when he was preaching the word in the synagogue synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, says this about David in Acts 13. And I I love this passage because I I desire it to be said about me, not to be elevated, but that my heart would be like this. And I hope your hearts would desire this too. It says, And after he removed him, that speaking of Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he testified and said, this is Acts 13, uh, 22. It says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Are you a man or a woman after his heart who is willing truly to do all his will? You know, that has to come down to that in every area of your life where where your heart is really yielded. Lord, whatever you want, I'm willing to do. This is what I would like. This is what I think you would do, but I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Are you a man or a woman after the Lord's heart? David was. David was. Now, David was a true believer who would do God's will, a man in whom his line, as I mentioned, would come Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God who would take on human flesh as prophesied. And David knew the Lord, had a heart after the Lord, but yet, as we know from Scripture, David uh, failed, and Scripture does not hide his great failure. He fell greatly into sin, as he committed adultery with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up and caused her husband Uriah to be killed in battle and thus is culpable for his death. Having fallen into great sin, in Second Samuel chapter 12, we have Nathan the prophet who confronts David concerning his sin. 
And David confesses his sin. David was reprovable. He was a true believer. When he was confronted, he responded. Yet there were consequences. Because of David, because of God's name being blasphemed by David, the child that would come from this adulterous relationship would die. And David, having done uh, this, uh, the sword would never leave his house. And he would be humiliated in public for what he had done in secret with his wives in contrast. And so David fell, yet we see that David repented. He confessed his sin, and in light of that, he desired to teach and instruct sinners in the way. In the way. Psalm 51, he says, Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of thy salvation, and sustain me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. You know, if you've really repented, then your heart's going to be right, and you're going to want to teach others to do the same, that they would be right with the Lord, that they'd be right with the Lord. And so then we have a psalm of David, and I'm not going to take the entire time here. We don't have time to go through every detail of this psalm, but I believe we can gain an understanding of what's going on here. And I think we're going to see in this psalm uh, something that's similar to a lot of other psalms. We have David, a real believer, who's going through real difficulties And we see what he does in the midst of those difficulties inspired by the Spirit. Okay, so Psalm 62. For the choir director, according to Jedithun, a psalm of David. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him? All of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence... They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. My soul, wait in silence for, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is in him. He is my, he only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah, Selah. He says here, men of low degree are of only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than breath. Do not trust in opposition or vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And loving kindness is thine, O Lord, for thou dost recompense a man according to his work. And so as we're going to look at this, I want to point out some of the structure of this psalm that will be helpful. Notice in verse 1 and verse four, 5, we have the exact same phrase. My soul waits in silence for God only. My soul waits in silence for God only. And in verse 6, we have almost the exact same phrase as in verse 2 with one little tiny difference. Verse 2, he, is only, he only is my rock and salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. And then we have the same phrase back in verse 2, uh, except for the word greatly. It's, it's a repetition. He is my only rock, my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. And then we have in verse 4 and verse 8 the term is Selah, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. 
So as we look at this psalm, this is about David recognizing that God is his only rock and salvation, his stronghold, he's not going to be shaken, and he's waiting upon him, hoping in him, and trusting in him alone. And although this psalm is particularly about what do we do when we're attacked, the reality of what we are to do applies to every area of life, every area of life. And so then, uh, how are we to respond when we're attacked? Notice uh, David's testimony. It's his testimony of what he has done. So he's going to give his testimony of what he has done and what he is doing, and then he's going to exhort us to do the same thing. He says uh, in verse 1, For the choir director, according to Jedith, the psalm of David, my soul waits in silence for God only. Now, uh, I mentioned the second half of this verse is repeated in verse 5. But here, David begins with the phrase, my soul. Uh, My soul waits in silence. My soul, literally, in silence for God only, for he is my salvation. This is, we could stop right here because this is so important. Because so often we are waiting for anything and everything else to deliver us, in a sense, or to change our circumstances or whatever it might be, rather than what we see here. He's speaking of his entire being, his soul. My soul waits in silence for God only. He waits in silence for God only. And notice he says, from him is my salvation. And obviously David's in trouble. He's experiencing difficulty. He needs to be delivered and saved. Look down. He's being attacked. Verse 3. How long will you assail A man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leading wall on a tottering fence. They've counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. looks like hypocrites are going after him. So David is sharing a personal testimony of what is happening to him. There are people out to get him, to assail him, and ultimately they would kill him if they had the chance. Now, later on, we'll see this, but in the New King James, the second half of verse 3, I believe, doesn't relay it in the way it really is in the Hebrew language. Uh, they will say, you know, they will say it in that, uh, I believe the NASB is correct here. Uh, How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Uh, the New King James translates that differently to almost make it look like something that's the opposite, but I believe he's speaking about those who are out to get him. Those who are out to get him. And notice, they're feigning righteousness. They want to they take him down. Look at verse 4. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. This is David the king. And he says, they've come together to thrust him down. They want to dethrone him from uh, being the king of Israel. They're plotting and to remo- planning to remove him. This sounds familiar. You see this, you see all kinds of stuff. We've had this in our country lately. People plotting and planning to dethrone people. We saw that back last year, right? And they effectively did it, didn't they? They effectively did. So here we also have the internal reality that that these are deceitful hypocrites. Verse 4, they delight in falsehood, but notice what? They bless with their mouth and inwardly they curse. You see, falsehood and deception is always guised in deceit. They're blessing, speaking well, but on the inside they're cursing and they're plotting and planning to do evil. 
So David's got a problem, and it's a big one that's weighing heavy on him. And if you've gone through difficulties, these things weigh heavy on you. They weigh heavy on you. And so uh, David is uh, in the midst of these attacks, um, and some would say maybe it's Absalom his, uh, during that rebellion. We're really not sure. The psalm doesn't give us a deliberate uh, situation, and that's good because maybe we would pigeonhole that in that situation and not see it for how it applies to all these circumstances in which we're attacked. So he's got a problem, and he's uh, saying, basically, how long is this going to happen? How long are you guys going to do this to me? How long is this going to happen? And if you've ever been in a situation where people have been pursuing you or persecuting you, you're wondering, when are they going to stop? When are they going to stop persecuting? When are they going to stop slandering? How long is this going to happen? And we can get discouraged, or we can get to whatever it might be, and we need to get our eyes, as we'll see from David, onto the Lord Jesus. Notice back in what he says in verse 1, My soul waits in silence for God only. God is his only hope. And the term only is used four times in regard to God. And then we have God alone. This is important because we look to other people for comfort, whatever it might be. We look to whatever it might be to vindicate ourselves, whatever it might be. God alone. God alone. God alone. David, with his entire being, waits in silence. If God is your only hope, you're going to wait for him. You know, if you have no other option than God, which is truly what we have, then what are you going to do? You're going to wait for him to take care of that. You're going to wait upon him. You see, God is good to those who wait upon him. We don't live in much of a waiting time, do we? Things go bad. We fill out the prayer request. Nothing wrong with that. We pray about everything, but we're expecting immediate resolution and, and praise the Lord if he does. But it doesn't always happen that way. We see throughout Scripture that those who are following the Lord wait upon the Lord. They wait upon and are exhorted to wait upon the Lord. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, very uh, familiar passage. Very familiar passage. We need to wait on the Lord. We know he's our only hope. We need to wait for him. He will take action. He is our stronghold. He is our hope. He's going to deal with it. He's going to take care of it. We need to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, Jeremiah is uh, remembering his uh, affliction and, and bitter heart towards what has happened to Jerusalem in, their, in God's discipline, having expelled them from the land and, and destroyed the city. And he says in Lamentations 3.19, Remember my affliction and my wandering and the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This is uh, Lamentations 3.20 now. This I recall to mind. This is what we got to do. Recall to mind the truth of God. He says here, therefore I have hope. And this is what he's recalling to mind. The Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease. I got to recall that to mind. I got to bring it to the forefront of my thinking because my thinking is thinking about all this wormwood and bitterness, all this stuff that's going on. I got to call recalls to mind. The Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease for his compassions never fail. That's wonderful. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Someone ought to write a song about that, right? That's wonderful, right? Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. It's, it's It's my whole being. It's who I am. And he says, therefore, I have hope in him. And notice this part. 
The Lord is good to those who wait for him. He's good to those who wait for him. We want to resolve everything right now, whatever it's in our lives. And we, 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 we pray we may take action before we need to or, whatever, or we should or God has led us to. And we need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait on the Lord. He's good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. David's going to say silently, I wait for him. You know, we tend to want to complain about it. That's our nature, right? We want to tell everybody and everything about it. And David is saying, my insides wait silently. Now, we're going to see that doesn't mean he's silent before God. He's going to be pouring. He says, pour out your heart before the Lord. So then, the Lord is good to those who wait upon him. Psalm 33, and I'll just read this for you, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. You wait for who you trust in. If you don't believe he is your only hope, you're not going to wait for him. You're going to take action. So we need to wait on the Lord. And David says, oh, and we saw in Psalm 37, that was read earlier, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him i've never seen that on a bumper sticker wait patiently for him right the reality is there needs to be a sense of waiting for him to bring about his resolution in his time which is good the lord is good and he's good to those who wait upon him so david back in our past says my soul waits in silence for god only that's it this is who i'm waiting for this is who's gonna as we'll see deliver me he says, notice the end of verse 1, from him is my salvation. He's the one. Well, I thought David was a great warrior. He's the king. He's got armies. He's got everything. Couldn't he just call these armies and start hunt these guys down? What's going on? He's the, he's the guy who slayed Goliath. Well, he says, from him is my salvation. David knows to whom his salvation comes from. He says, from him is my salvation. The term salvation speaks of deliverance, being saved from something. And David recognizes that God is his only source of deliverance in these circumstances of attacks and threats. And we need to get this. We need to understand and wait upon the Lord to deliver us. We need to be reminded of this. So often, again, we go to anywhere and everywhere but the Lord for our deliverance. But the Lord is our only hope. Whatever it is, whether it's uh, political concerns, whatever it might be, and the, the difficulties that are happening in our country, whatever it might be, God is the one who is going to deliver us. Whether it's a relational problem, whether it's uh, being persecuted, being, being spoken against, slandered, whatever it is, God is the one who is going to deliver. And in David's situation, he's being attacked and threatened. So notice what he says. He doesn't stop in describing uh, God in relationship to his difficulty, by the way. Look at verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. He's going to say, he's my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. And he's going he's to exhibit faith. I'm not going to be shaken. Later on, he'll say greatly shaken. I'm, I know I'm not going to be tottered over. Because he is this. He is this. Later on, he's going to say, trust in the Lord at all times, O people. That's what he's exhibiting right here in this statement. He only, and we need to get this point, he only. 
And you need to have a personal relationship with the living God. A lot of people talk about a lot of verses, a lot of stuff, but there's no real relationship with the Lord. This is a personal relationship with the Lord. He only is my rock and my salvation. These are tremendous words of, of faith from David concerning our God. He's trusting in him. He says, my rock, for a pretty simple metaphor, right? What do you think of when you think of a rock? You think of stability. You think of strength, protection from stumbling. What does David say in Psalm 18? Look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 15. Actually, Psalm 18, excuse me, not 15, the second half of verse 1. He said, he said, and he said, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. I love thee, O Lord. That's personal, right? That's personal. That's a real relationship, right? The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Right? The Lord is my rock. He is my stronghold. He is my rock. Look down a little farther in verse 31, or verse 30 of Psalm 18. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hind's feet. He sets me upon high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend bow of bronze. Thou hast given me a shield Excuse me, thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand upholds me, and thy gentleness makes me great. Thou dost enlarge my steps under me, and make my feet, and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for thou hast girded me with strength for battle. Thou hast subdued under me those who rose up against me. Thou hast made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. And then look down at verse 45. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, uh, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely thou dost lift me above those who rise up against me. Thou dost rescue me from the violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to thee among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to thy name. He gives deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. You see, the Lord is our rock. And yet so many times we have other things that we try to stabilize ourselves with. It is Christ who is our rock. He is my only, he is only, verse 2, my rock and my deliverer or salvation, my salvation. We need to see him as that alone. God is the one who brings our deliverance. He is, and then notice he says, my stronghold, my strong. He is my stronghold. The term stronghold speaks of a secure height or a fortress on high. The Lord is a fortress. He is a strong tower. The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. We get our protection from the Lord. 
What does David say in Second Samuel in his song of thanksgiving? Second Samuel uh, chapter 22, and I'll read it, verse 3. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior, thou dost save me from violence. All throughout the Psalms, we see the psalmist crying out to God, their only stronghold, their rock, their refuge, their fortress, against the violence of those who are coming against them. Again, so many passages. Psalm 144, Psalm of David, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle, my loving kindnesses and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues the peoples, people under me. Psalm 94, they band themselves together against the life of the righteous, verse 21, and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold, and my God has been the rock of my refuge, and he has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. Psalm 94, 21 and 22. Folks, God is our only hope to deliver us especially from violent people. God's our only hope. God's our only hope. So David goes on and he explains this in the context of this. He says, uh, he says, my soul waits in silence, second half of one, back in Psalm 62. From him is my salvation. He is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. And then look at this. He says, I shall not be greatly shaken. It's confidence. If he is my stronghold and he is, I know I'm not going to be greatly shaken. The term shaken speaks of tottering, being dislodged. Because David has God alone as his salvation, because David has God alone as his rock, because David has God alone as his stronghold, he can say in the context of faith, I shall not be greatly shaken. See, he not only understands the truth of his God being this, but he believes it. <laughs> We can understand, we can sing, blessed be the rock, you know. We can, we can sing and know he's our rock or such, but we don't believe it. David believes it. David believes it. This is faith. I shall not be greatly shaken. You say, you see, when God is um, your stability, your stronghold, your refuge, you can declare like David, hey, I'm not going to be greatly shaken because he's going to uphold me. He's good. He's good. The righteous run in. The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are what? Safe. safe. They're safe. So then, because God is David's only stability, salvation, and personal stronghold, he's confident he will not be shaken, even though there are evil men and hypocrites who seek to destroy him. Notice uh, verse 3. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? And I mentioned this earlier but I, I prefer the NASB over the New King James. Uh, they translate this, you shall be slain. I don't, I don't think that's actually the way it is. It's that they may murder him. The context is, how long, bad guys, are you going to do this and try to kill me? How long are you going to be doing this? How long are you going to do it? It ultimately speaks of violently attacking. So David is talking about not a one-time event, but it's an ongoing thing. How long are you going to keep doing this? that you may murder him, all of you. And then he says in the end of uh, 3, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. Uh, now what's he talking about here? Verse 4, he says, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. 
David's the king. It's an organized, concerted effort to remove him as king. And uh, he says, here's what's going on. And he knows he shares their character. They delight in falsehood. What's falsehood? What's falsehood? It's something that's not true. It's, it's, it's purported to be true, but it's false. They delight in that. They delight in sharing that which they would portray as true and correct, but it is false. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, and, but inwardly they curse. Oh, blessed be David the king. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly, I hate him. I'm going to get him. We're going to take him down. We're plotting and planning. He's, we're going to take him off his high pedestal. So here we have David explaining the character of the people that are behind this to continually attempt to take him out. They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They're, they're religious. Now remember, in David's time, everyone basically claimed to know the Lord. They were the, their God was the God of Israel. They bless with their mouth and only they curse. And then he says, Selah. Now this basically means to lift up, and it spoke of stopping the instruments and the music to contemplate what has just been sung or said. So then we need to stop in us for a second and think about what we've just heard. So in spite of evil, hypocritical, religious that seek to destroy him and unthrone him, God is his only rock and salvation and only stronghold. And notice he continues, verse 5, My soul, wait in silence for God only. Again, we see this again. My entire being is waiting for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, my soul, in silence. For my hope is from him. My hope comes from the Lord. He is only is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Now, there was very much the, almost the exact same phrase except for the word greatly is not there. I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to be shaken. Our only hope is the Lord. Therefore, we need to be silent and wait on him and for his deliverance because he is our rock, our salvation, and our stronghold. But we got to believe that from the heart. And if we do, we're going to wait on him. If we don't believe he's our salvation, we're not going to wait on him. It's the Lord. He is our only hope. And the Lord is good. Actually, Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. He only is my rock and my salvation. Verse 6, my salvation, my stronghold, my, 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 my rock. My stronghold, my salvation, I shall not be shaken. This is shaken. This is a personal testimony of David. And we need to learn from him. We need to get on our knees and pour out our hearts before the Lord and wait upon him because he alone is our rock, salvation, and stronghold. And therefore we know that we will not be shaken. Now notice in verse 7, uh, David continues uh, to talk about God's salvation his salvation and 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 who he is on god my salvation my glory rest hey it's all in his hands it's on the rock of my strength my refuge is in god psalm uh, 144 again i'll read it for you verse one a psalm of david blessed be the lord my rock who trains my hands for war my fingers for battle my loving kindness in my fortress my stronghold my deliverer my shield in whom 
my shield, and he is in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. On God, my salvation and my glory rest, the rock of my strength, he's the, he's the core of that, my refuge is in God. The only one who could deliver him and protect him and keep him in his position that God had placed him in the first place is God himself. God is his refuge. He says, my refuge is in God. The term refuge speaks of shelter. My strength. He's my refuge. He's my strength. Last, last part of chapter 7, or verse 7. It's the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. It sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. Uh, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Isn't that wonderful? Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters and roar and foam, the mountains quake and its swelling pride. Selah. God is our refuge and strength. He's our shelter, and he's our strength. He's our rock, and he is our deliverer. David trusts in the Lord, and this is a pattern in his life, by the way. This is a pattern. This isn't a one and done for David. David trusts the Lord over and over again. And I think the Lord allows us to go through trials, the testing of our faith, to prove where our faith is. He allows difficulties to come to show us, to prove, to demonstrate our faith. Take a look at Psalm 31. We see this pattern in David's life. We see this pattern of how he, he uh, trusts the Lord in the midst of extremely difficult situations. Psalm 31. It's all throughout the Psalms, by the way. Psalm 31, verse 1. For the choir director, a Psalm of David, in thee, O Lord, I have taken refuge. There we go. Again, you're my shelter. Let me never be ashamed. In thy righteousness, deliver me. Incline thine ear to me, rescue me quickly. That be thou to me a rock of strength and a stronghold to save me. For thou art my rock, my fortress. For my, thy name's sake thou wilt lead me and guide me. Now look at what he says. Thou wilt pull out the net which they have secretly laid for me. For thou art my strength. He is trusting God to do it. He says here, into thy hand do I count my spirit. We know the Lord Jesus shared that even when he, when he died, right? It's prophetic in that sense. But we need to do the same thing. Lord, you're, my, my life, I'm in your hands. I'm in your hands. The Lord Jesus said that as he was dying on the cross and died for us. He says, Thou hast ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. He says, I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in, the loving, in thy loving kindness, because thou hast seen my affliction, thou hast known my troubles of my soul, and thou hast not given me over to the hand of my enemy. Thou hast set my feet in large places. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away because of my adversaries. I have become a roach, a, a roach, a reproach, not a roach, <laughs> a reproach, a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. This is the difficulties. Some of it's from his sin, some of it is not. Right? So we'll see. He says, I am a forgotten as a dead man. 
Dead men, out of mind, I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I'm going to worry, fret, and shake in my boots. He doesn't say that, right? He says, but as for me, I trust in thee, O Lord. It's personal. He's talking to the Lord. I say, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand to deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. David trusts in the Lord. And if you are following the Lord, there's going to be a time where you're going to go through trials and testing. And some of that will come in the context of persecution. Indeed, those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. And often it comes from those you know or from those within your sphere of, of uh, personal relationships. Whether it's at church, whether it's at work, whether it's in the family, wherever it is. Wherever it is. And we've got to trust the Lord. He is our only hope. We need to get on our knees, rest in him, and wait for him. And wait for him. So notice after David in his testimony of faith, it's a testimony of faith. Notice he now commands us to trust in the Lord. And he, can, and he commands that in the context of actually doing it himself. Look at verse 8 back in uh, Psalm 62. Trust in him at all times, O people. That really covers it, doesn't it? Trust in him at all times, all the time. Trust in the Lord. That means you put your faith in him. You rely on him. You are abiding in him. You're believing what he said, and you're relying on him personally to do what he has said, to accomplish what he has said, to be who he says he is in the context of your life. You're relying on him. Trust the Lord. Don't rely on anything else. This should be innate to believers, but often we trust in other things in difficult situations. Now, we're not only to trust him in difficult situations, we're to trust him at all times, at all times. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. We see the results of when one trusts and one doesn't. When one trusts and one doesn't. We see the uh, reality of the sphere of each one. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart has turns, turns away from the Lord. You're cursed if you trust in your flesh and other men. You trust in people. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see prosperity when it comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of, of salt without habitation. So you see people like that. Sometimes they claim to be believers. Maybe they might be. They're living in that wasteland because they're not trusting in the Lord. You see it in their lives and you go, wow, it's not someone who's going through troubles and like David and trusting the Lord and even rejoicing in it and having difficulty within it. But notice he says here, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. It's personal. And whose trust is the Lord. Is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its roots in, by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but his leaves will be grain and it will be not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. And we know this very familiar passage after exhorting us not to forget the word of God and not let loving kindness truth leave you. Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. That includes deciding about all these decisions we have lately in our country. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's a promise. Trust the Lord with all your heart. We are to trust in our rock alone. We are to trust in our fortress alone. We are to trust in our deliverer alone. And David, by his example, says, Trust in the Lord at all times, O peoples. And I say that, and we say it to one another. We should say it to one another. And in context, this includes waiting in silence for the Lord, our only hope, right? And notice the middle of verse 8. Pour out your heart before him. The silence is not silence before him. It's silence before everything else, right? Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Get in, your, get in your prayer time and just pour out your heart what's going on before the Lord. He asks you to do that. Trust in him. Very vivid language. Lord, I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about what happened here. I'm concerned about this. Lord, help me. Help me. You alone are my rock and my stronghold. Hear my prayer. Pour out your heart before him. It's a real relationship. And notice what he says. As we trust God and pour out our hearts before him, end of verse 8, God is a refuge for us. He's a refuge. He's our, he's our shelter. He's our shelter. Selah. Stop the music. Think about it. God is our refuge. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Now notice, in contrast to God, who is a refuge and strength, God, who is our shelter, he's going to point out the bad guys and their end. In contrast to God and being our rock, our salvation, our deliverer, our only hope and whom we're waiting upon and trusting in, in contrast to that, we have a statement about the bad guys. Verse 9, men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up, they are altogether lighter than breath. Now, this verse is translated in a way that I think could obscure it a little bit. Um, what do I mean? The term low degree and rank are not in the original text in the NASB. It may be in italics there. I'm not sure. You could literally translate it this way. Surely or indeed, sons of mankind vapor. Sons of men, lies, deception, or falsehood. Together in the scales, they go up. They're vapor and their lies are decept- and deception, right? Uh, one translation uh, translates it this way. Men are nothing but a mere breath. Human beings are unreliable. When they are weighed in the scales, all of them are together lighter than air. So what's the point here? I think in light of the context, which you're going to see in a minute, of an all-powerful God, all power belongs to God, uh, man is nothing. Don't trust in him and don't trust in yourself, right? You're nothing. God is all-powerful. Psalm 146, look at Psalm 146, verse 3. We've got to learn this because we're tempted to trust in people, even people that may be competent, even people that know the Lord. Don't trust in them. Yes, get good biblical advice from them. It points you to Christ. Amen for that. But don't trust in man. Psalm 146, verse 3. Do not trust in princes, that would be a ruler, in mortal men in whom there's no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. He's gone. 
physically speaking. He's dead, right? How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the is in the Lord his God. How blessed you are. God of Jacob, your hope is in the Lord your God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. How blessed you are when the God who is all-powerful is your trust. So we trust in ourselves and other people which have zero power. We're, we're basically uh, a vapor versus uh, God who is all-powerful. And notice he continues this thought, uh, do not trust in oppression, verse 10, and vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Don't trust in cash. People think if they've got a large retirement account, they're good to go for the rest of their life. Really, are you good to go? What are you trusting in? What are you relying on? First of all, he says, don't trust in oppression. That means uh, injury by extortion or extortion. Don't trust in that which comes from strong-arming or being ripping off the innocent. Don't trust in robbery. That's plunder. And if your money increases, don't set your heart on that or any of these things. Now, many of us are probably not tempted to trust in use, use oppression or robbery to get money. I don't think that's probably our situation. But we may be tempted to trust in money. You bet. Proverbs says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You can't serve God and mammon. Now, yes, you need to be a good steward. But if riches increase, don't put your faith in them. Do not set your heart upon them. Don't set your heart. That means be thinking about it. If your riches increase, don't be thinking about them. Now, the poor man thinks about money a lot, too. It's the money he doesn't have, by the way. And the rich man thinks about money a lot, which is the money he does have. Don't set your heart on it. Don't set your heart on it. And notice we have this statement, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and loving kindness is thine, O Lord. This is an absolute saying of truth. It's the way that it would be said. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, Absolutely, it's the absolute reality that power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. He's God. He's all-powerful. And all power belongs to him. Don't forget that. Don't go to that which has no power. That is a vapor. Don't trust in riches. Don't trust in mankind. Those are your two choices, by the way. Yourself or others or money, right? Trust in God. Trust in God. When it looks like man will overpower you, trust in God. God is all-powerful. The term powerful speaks of strength or might. What does uh, Paul say in uh, Ephesians chapter 3? Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And earlier he, he said in chapter 1 that he's, pr- he's praying because our eyes have been enlightened, that we might know... Uh, that we might know uh, the, 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 the amount of his power towards those who believe. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, that's speaking of the Lord, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. He's able to do way beyond what we could even think in our minds. According to the power that works within us, that's the Spirit of God in us. 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ to all, Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what did the Apostle Paul say about power and God's power? What did he record? What did he share? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. See, he's going to reveal the thing that power is perfected in weakness. And the, and the implication is you're weak, you're trusting the Lord, you're not trusting in yourself. You may be going through difficulties, but you're trusting in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and Paul is saying to the Lord, requested three times, take, you know, he actually starts out this portion by saying, hey, these bad guys, they got all kinds of stories about fanciful spiritual experiences. Well, I know a guy who was caught up in the third heaven. He's talking about so He's even doing it a humble way. And then to keep him from exalting himself, there was a thorn given to him in the flesh. And he prayed that it would be gone three times. And God's answer is such. And he said to me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that great? My unmerited favor is sufficient for you. That's it. For power is perfected in weakness. That implies that in his grace, there's strength. His power is, is brought forth. Power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Those difficulties brought about a total dependence on the Lord. Earlier, he's going to say in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, we were brought to the point of death that we would not trust in ourselves, but in the God, but in God, right? And so these weaknesses that come upon him cause him to be weak in trusting in himself. And he trusts us, so he's content with that. He's content with that. So then we see power is perfected in weakness. And from God is all power. Therefore, take refuge in him. Don't rely on your own power and strength or mankind. Don't trust in money because all power belongs to God. When we're going through difficulties, we tend to make a plan on how to get out of it. We've got to trust the Lord. We've got to rely on him. Now, he may use people to do that. He may use money. He may use whatever he wants, but he has got to be the one doing it, not us doing it. Not us doing it. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that all power belongs to God. And notice what he says, and loving kindness is thine. Not only is he an all-powerful God, he's a loving, kind God. Hesed, it speaks of his covenant-keeping love, and that is exhibited in sending his son to die for our sins. The love that God poured out upon us, bringing salvation through Christ. That uh, loving kindness, which indeed never ceases, it is new every morning. All power is his. And loving kindness is thine. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We see this in Psalm 103, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Verse 8, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. It's abounding in loving kindness. And that loving kindness is exhibited in the forgiveness of sins in which our sins were taken from the, as far as the east as the west through what Christ has done for us. Once spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and loving kindness is thine, O Lord. And then there's an explanation that gives us comfort in the midst of all these things. Don't trust in men. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in, in, in riches or robbery. Um, but trust in the Lord because he's all-powerful. And thus, he's going to take care of the bad guys. He's got it under control. Look at this. It's an explanation. End of verse 12. For thou, 
dust recompense a man according to his work. That is comforting if you know he's all-powerful and you do believe it and you know that he is loving-kind, but yet he is just and right. He will take care of those who are sinning against you. In Matthew chapter 26, there's nothing that will... 10.26, there's nothing that covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. God's going to bring every act to judgment. No one's going to get away with anything. He's going to deliver us, protect us now, but he's ultimately going to deliver us. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon, after saying it's all vapor, it's all going up fast, it's, it's there and it's gone. It's worthless in a sense. As a vow, he says the conclusion when all is said and done, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, is fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. The Apostle Paul made this clear also in chapter 2 of, of Romans. You can look at this in your own time, but he's going to bring forth judgment. Judgment. We see it here in this passage. Thou dost recompense a man according to his work. Now for believers, we are not judged for our sin, but we will be judged for our deeds in the body, for rewards or lack of rewards. We know in Romans chapter 14, believers will stand before the judgment of Christ. We're going to be judged. Second Corinthians, we're going to give an account to God, Romans 14. 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to be judged for the deeds in the body while we're in this flesh. 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to be judged in relationship for eternal rewards and recompense for that or suffer loss as the things we do that were in Christ, abiding in him, will, 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 will remain. The other things will be burned up. And for the non-believer, if you don't repent, you will be judged. God will recompense you for your sin. There is a coming judgment and the judgment brings forth the sentence of hell acts chapter 17 verse 30 therefore having overlooked times of ignorance god is now declaring that men declaring to men that all everywhere should repent why should men repent why does god declare that every one of us should repent why Here's why. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. You need to repent because there is a judgment for sin. If you repent and trust in Christ, you will be delivered from the wrath of God that comes as the sentence for that judgment. And if you haven't done so, you're building up. God's wrath uh, is building up every day. He will recompense a man according to his deeds. So we need to recognize that. And for those who don't know Christ, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So God is all-powerful and loving, and yet he will recompense a man according to his work. He's going to take care of that. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So then, what are we going to do? What should we do? What will we do when difficulties come? We need to learn from David, who trusted in God alone, who saw the Lord rightly as his rock and salvation, who waited silently for his deliverance, who hoped in him and took refuge in God alone. We need to obey and trust in him in all times and pour out our heart before him because he is our refuge and strength alone. Selah.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, none of us wants to go through difficulties and persecution and trials, but yet we know that uh, you allow trials to test our faith, to prove and demonstrate where our faith is truly at. Lord, I pray for anyone going through difficulty right now for following you. I pray that uh, you would be their stronghold, you would be their refuge, you would be their rock. For all of us, as we go through difficulty, that we would trust in you at all times and that we would pour out our heart to you and we would know that you're going to take care of things, you're going to deliver us, and that we are safe in you as our refuge. Lord, help us not to freak out when difficulty comes, whether it's uh, socially, politically, whatever it might be, Lord God, whether it's in our family, whether it's in church. Lord, when those things come, may we stand firm in our trust of you. May we rely on you completely. So, Lord, I just pray that we would all trust in you at all times. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.